Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This week on The Gray Area, Stephen Markley, author of the novel The Deluge, on why he was compelled to write an epic book about climate change. If 50 years from now we have used this period in history to turn the corner on the climate crisis, and you and I and everybody listening to this was a part of that, that is an incredible way to spend one's life. That's This Week on The Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This week, we're doing our biannual check-in on the state of contemporary comedy specials, aka when Catherine Van Arendonk, one of Vulture's critics, comes on to discuss the best specials of the year so far, as an extension of the story she writes for the site. Uh, as we note, this is a weird year so far. You know, with the pandemic most comedians haven't had an opportunity to tour, let alone shoot a special in front of people. That said, Catherine has selected four specials, and I agree, they rule. If you enjoy hearing Catherine and I talk and talk and talk about comedy specials, which I hope you do, considering that's what's about to happen, we have a Patreon called The Specials, where we do just that. Like, literally, there's another two hours of us talking about Bo Burnham's Inside with New York Times comedy critic Jason Zinneman. So this is like a, you know, a small taste of that. Uh, it's like a like a little spoon of ice cream size taste of that show. So here is Catherine Van Arendonk. I am here with Catherine Van Arendonk. Thank you for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me back. Uh, we are talking about your lists of the best specials of the year 2021 so far is that the word you use specials like what is the word considering what we're about to talk about what are you calling these things yeah i'm still calling them specials mm, comedy specials comedy specials because hour-long ish comedy specials because it is useful to have a norm so that you yeah. can point to that norm and say yeah now i'm gonna deviate from it if i want Yes, one of these things is one hour long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that counts. Yeah. Um, you know, I I wanted to talk about what makes this year different and and your approach to it. Um, and I think the the best way into this conversation is uh, there are no women on your list so far um as of right now and beyond sort of internalized misogyny um <laughs> could you explain why that is <laughs> yeah it's because i it's because i hate women and i, said I don't besides besides them i don't misogyny. think women are funny mm -hmm. and uh i think we've discussed that amply 
in several previous episodes of this very podcast, in yeah. fact. Um, yeah, well, so I don't know if anyone's heard, but 2021 is a strange year in a lot of respects. And clearly the most important way that it is strange is that comedy is in a really weird place right now. Uh, there are... Are, is a very small group of people who were able or wanted to tour and develop material and like get a bunch of stuff together um, to be in a place to be releasing a special right now. A lot of what we're seeing still is like stuff that was floating around from before mm -hmm. 2020 that is now coming out. There's very little stuff that was developed over the last year that was then filmed and has now been released over the last couple months that is then like ready to be a, to be a special, uh, which is not to say that there are not lots of people working. You know, um, there has been some online discourse, which I hope that you can hear I'm saying that with like capital letters, online discourse about uh, – you know, how many women are not getting booked in clubs mm. right now. This sense that there were women all over Zoom shows over the last year and they're not being represented in the kinds of people that bookers are looking for. I have that's totally anecdotal. There I have no way of like no visibility into that side of it. But I do have visibility into the specials that I was able to look at for, to, like, consider for, like, what is the best of the, like, last several months. And there are no women. I mean, there are a couple, but they weren't great. And they were, you know, the kinds of things – they were the sort of vast iceberg of stuff that always comes out. And then you're kind of looking for the really, you know, stellar – stuff that somebody's been able to give a great deal of themselves to develop. And I don't think it is an accident that this is a short list and it is a short list that has no women on it. Yeah. Like every industry, women were not – were unequally affected by – the opportunities available to them for their careers over the last year. I have small kids. I cannot imagine that if I were a stand-up over the last year, I would have had any desire or capability to, like, be doing any kind of shows. You know, um, Zoom ones maybe, but I think – as so many of us have discovered, the stuff we do over Zoom doesn't necessarily translate to real life or is something that we want to get recorded and, like, called a special as part of, you know, the work that we put out forever. I know, you know, I've been looking also, we were talking about um, if you were a, a, a woman who is a comic and has the kind of career stature to be able to pick your projects over the mm -hmm. last year – Maybe you don't want to be in comedy clubs <laughs> touring material, and maybe instead it's safer for you to be working on TV or movie projects. There are, I think, a lot of things going on here, and yeah. I don't want to underplay any of them, but I am really just not thrilled with the fact that this is a list of four men, but also I don't know what I can do about it at this particular moment. Yeah, it's like a lot of things where on this – 
on the surface, it's like, oh, it's just sort of like sexism. And then when you talk about it more, it's actually like a much more complex yeah. world of sexism. It's and, a whole web. Yeah. And it is a thing of there's only so many comedians, right? One, there's only so many comedians. There's far fewer female comedians, period. The the level that a female comedian needs to reach to be able to do, to do specials, there's even fewer of those people. So now, and if you have reached that level, most likely you are famous, where there are many male comedians who have reached that level who, are, who don't have to be famous, and stand-up is the thing that they do, and they don't care, they're just going to tour because that's their main thing, where these, you know, a female celebrity might be like, I'm going to act if I'm going to make the same amount of money, and also, most female comedians are aware, because they've been a female comedian their entire life, that the expectations on them when they do put out specials are so, um, it's not even that they're so high. They're, the, they are behind an eight ball because people are like already being like, oh, this, this is going to be this or that. And I, I would say, based on some of the male specials that have been, the male comedian specials that have come out during the pandemic, that were recorded during the pandemic... <clears throat> That a lot of com- these people were like, so what? I'll have an okay special. Yeah, <laughs> like, it'll be fine. Like, yeah. I, I'm working. It's it's like, we all know it's it's going to be fine. Whatever. They, yeah, that sort of thing of like, well, they're not all going to be great, but I'm, they're all going to be on Netflix, right? That that energy is not the sort of like, no female comedian that I am aware of is that confident that they could put out something average and then yeah. it not be held against them forever. Yeah. Um, so there's like that becomes a factor, and then it's just sort of like you're limiting this group to fewer and fewer and fewer people, um, and the and the fact that like if you're going to be like, I want to mount an ambitious project, right? That plays with form or whatever that does not demand me having to tour or whatever. You need a big fancy person be like, we promise we're going to give you the money. We'll give you yeah. the money ahead of time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of these special, um, multiple of these specials demanded people have either finance it themselves or have enough financial security that they could buy a lot of equipment. They could rent out spaces. Like multiple of these specials demanded a certain amount of financial security that was or supported a by a patron, the- yeah, yeah. right? Who was going to be like, I'll give you all those things because I trust you, you yes. know? Yeah. And the amount of female comedians that are in that boat is so, so, so few. I like, I don't, if you gave me 10 minutes, I could maybe think of like one or two. Yeah. And, and so as a result, this is a reflection of that. Like you, you, you know, this is the, this is a reflection of what has happened over the last few years in comedy opposed to like, you know, it, it, it is interesting because it's like, I, I have heard, that now the streamers are like, gotta get people filming this content, right? Mm. It's like, there's, they, we stretched our backlog as much as possible, and now we need people, we need to start doing half hours, and people who have not been performing live are like, you have two months, right? Yeah. And, and again, that's another thing, and I'm sure they're gonna put some effort to make sure there are women in that group, and but... Again, I imagine it's a type of thing that, like, the men version of that were like, well, while I'm out of this, I'm going to be filming specials. Where there's probably yeah. these female communities who are not sure because it's just, like, not a given because of the history of this industry. Um, and, you know, I there will be female communities who put out specials by the end of the year. I know of one, at least, right? 
Yeah. It's like, like, I mean, we could say now it's like Tignataro has a uh, special that is an animated special that I'm sure that if it came out yesterday would be on this list. It is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, that's good, but it is, there's something about how, um, how revealing this is when it's like, when you don't have the sort of like, the industry does not have enough power to like hide the fact that it has all these biases. <laughs> because yeah. They're just like, so this is just sort of like it in the raw. This is like what we can pull off. And you're like, oh, when they're not well, trying, yeah. then this is the result. It's like we got stripped down to the bare essentials. And then we were like, oh, wow. It turns out the bare essentials are men. Like yep. that's the, the, those are those are the those are the monoliths that we have when you when you take away all of the like what we consider extraneous stuff. Yeah. But it, and it should be noted that like. We're about to talk about four male specials, and only, like, one was an example of a person who was probably, like, n- either went to the streamer and be like, give me this money, I'm going to do this ambitious thing way ahead of time and allowed him to do this type of project. Yeah. The other is, I believe, probably a special that was, like, bought right before the pandemic and then was not able to be filmed. Mm-hmm. The other one is backlogged and self-financed. Yep. And the yep. other is like a completely, a completely, yeah, thing. yeah. So it reflects. There's not a lot of specials. Period. These are like on, only one of these is like what you'd normally expect to be on a list like this. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And that that sucks, but it is also. I mean, there is a there is a silver lining, which is that there are, is this opportunity to really embrace all kinds of new mm-hmm. weird stuff. You get the kinds of playfulness with and like stretching the form that are is always exciting when you have a chance to really like highlight it, but also are forced to do it. I mean, um, so much really interesting art gets created because your restrictions were so intense yeah, that yeah. you had to figure out other ways of doing things and this is a reflection of that too and that's i don't want to i don't want to just you know like there are four men and so like this is a bad list womp womp (laughs) you know like there's really fantastic and interesting things going on here but as is always the case we have to remember who is given the opportunities to create those kinds of projects yes so yeah that's so the it's, list is great, but we all should feel a little bit bad about it. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, I don't want anyone to ever be able to come away from any episode in which I am on this podcast with uncomplicated feelings about anything. Uh, it's better to be just this real mess of happy sad all the yes. time. Yep. Um, so speaking of which, we should do want to get into the, the list as it stands. Yes, please. So we're not we're going to do an alphabetical order by last name. Okay. Um, because I don't know why I did that. Because there's a person with a name that starts with A, so immediately your brain goes, of course, that's how we should organize <laughs> Oh, it. sure. Just so, but this is not ranked. Um, so the first special on the list is James A. Caster's Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999, which was yeah. self-released. Um, it was filmed pre-pandemic. Um, part of the reason it should be noted it was self-released was... In 2020, he released it for one night. It was a like a special event, and to see what would happen, he would basically he was like, "Let's see if the audience would behave um, with some of this material that I would like them to be 
chill about. Uh, specifically, he has a joke about um, his ex-girlfriend leaving him for Mr. Bean. That's very funny. And in the special, he talks about, please don't tweet about this joke. If you're watching this at home, don't tweet about it. It's a very specifically done joke. I don't trust you guys with the tone of it. And so he put it out for one night just to see if people would be chill. And they were not. So he did not sell the special. He's like, basically, he was like, I'm going to, you know, it's demands a matter of financial security to do this. But he was like, I'm not going to sell the special to someplace. He at minimum could have got it somewhere in, in England. And then obviously, I don't know if Netflix would have bought another one necessarily. But like, I'm sure HBO Max would have or yeah. the like. And he's like, no, this needs to be only for people I trust who pay individually because um, as ref- as is one of the main themes of the special, uh, he does not like the audience. He thinks they're bad and they are the worst part of doing comedy. That is the context of ha- why this is released. Why did this make your list? Uh, well, he's incredibly funny. So that's really number sure. one. I It is two hours long. And I say that up top because there is just like a stamina involved in the amount of sustained. He is a persona on stage, not like a big loud where you're looking at him and like that person is a clown. But like it is a a very deliberate persona that he sort of creates and and embodies that is very close to what I imagine is his person, but clearly is not his person. And so it is this just incredible energy that it takes to be to do that for two hours. And. He does do it with a with an intermission because that's what you do when you're in England, I guess, is you have an intermission in the middle. Um, but the space that that gives him is that he gives him then the room to build these really long pieces yeah. that have so many layers of jokes in them that develop over a long period of time that are this like there i you know i love a really narrative joke there's a lot of very narrative sort of things mm-hmm. happening in here that are really really personal but um have the kind of distance from how personal they are that you get the this beautifully crafted bake off thing yeah. that he's telling you about the Mr. Bean joke, which you've already mentioned, is kind of the the like core of like this is an incredibly personal thing that I have processed, and like the result of the processing is this beautiful joke about an incredibly painful thing in my life, and the it is the combination of that kind of sustained control for these really long just beautifully told funny stories and the level of thought that he has about all of the stuff that you were just talking about the frustration with the audience the frustration with what sort of comedy expectation creates from how these stories are supposed to play and like his feeling you can feel him kind of pushing against that even as he is telling them his need that his own awareness of his compulsion to get up there and do that 
and how much he hates the fact that he is has this compulsion to get up there and be this person. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about Bo Burnham in a bit, which is like the least obvious. I mean, the most obvious spoiler of all time. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bo Burnham is on this list. And... When I first watched this special, you know, having seen Make Happy a lot and before Inside had come out, I think I slacked both you and and um, our editor, Meg, and was like, well, this is a very Bo Burnham-y kind of thing. Sure. And, like, it has that same thematic obsession going on underneath, but it is very interesting to watch it get modulated through something more like these big, long narrative personal stories and not covered by the outlet of the music that we are gonna you know sort of see in inside um later yeah i i was completely into this special from the beginning i mean it's just it's mesmerizing it really is i rewatched it this morning and i was like this really is so hard what he's doing so Um, hard (laughs) because you know it is how you're supposed to tell a, a comedic story which is every part of it you use an opportunity to do a million jokes, but like right. um, his ability to find sort of just the right one for so many different parts of it. So there's so many different styles of things and so many different techniques. Like it's truly like um, if you watch Top Chef and you're like, they do the same thing and they're like, wow, there's 12 techniques on this thing, which is yeah. like, the truth is like that is for nerds and other comedians. Like the audience does not care about the techniques you're using, but it 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 makes it so this is not boring, right? You can do two two hours because he's doing all these different things. But the thing that is so impressive and also so difficult, which is like one, we all have personal experiences, right? And so it's like it's not just like oh he's personal on stage, right? He talks about being sad. Like we're all sad. If we all could, if just being sad is like what makes it good, then we all should have the best special of the year. But it's his ability to sort of one process it. And process it, but also have a decision of how he wants to, how much he wants to process it and how he needs to present it for him to fulfill what he believes he needs to do with his art yeah. so that he, he has a certain amount of responsibility, but also a, an amount of thought and being deliberate about exactly the tone he's trying to do. But also there's like to be able to sort of one, see themes in your own life and then also see your broader themes about what you want to say about culture and have them feed into each other. So it's like, this is a special about his relationship with the audience. And that is also somewhat a metaphor, his relationship to being British. And also his relationship to being British is, is also manifests itself in his, how he talks about mental illness and how the sort of Britishness of not talking about that, but also the nature of, um, talk about mental illness is a metaphor for the performance of stand-up and the performance of stand-up is a metaphor for the nature of like how we project not having mental illness and all this stuff feeds together. Well, and, and like romantic relationships yes. too, right? There's like, those are also sort of the same dynamics again that we see played out. And that's so, you know, he's very, very good at finding extremely specific, like very, like immediate Stories that have hooks that are so easy for an audience to be like, well, you know, this is a very, this is a relationship that I, that I kind of understand having this moment with like a girlfriend or an ex or, you know, some awkward interaction with a boss or something. And then he is able to sort of take what 
you know, the worst version of like it's relatable or whatever, yeah. and then spin it out into this much more thoughtful and just ex- extremely nuanced thought d- depiction of like of yeah, mental illness and and performance. I yeah. think yeah. I mean, he he does a really good job of um showing and not telling. You know, and I think it's always the thing with comedians, which is like they very often need to tell you what they're thinking and what this means and how this relates. And he does a good job of like, I'm just going to give you snippets of this day and you and in it, you will get the sense of the story and just from pacing of it and what works. And then he sort of he doesn't have to explain what the story is about because he he uses the sort of part in where a, a lesser comedian or just a comedian who has not really banged this all out would have done is he uses this sort of other thematic elements to sort of explain what that story is about without having to be like, this is what that story is about. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like it's really long and it's indulgent and it's so much, but I think it's part of it. And it's part of, he, he is using the vocabulary of a style of comedy of like tough guy-ness to, to really, um, make a point about what is actually challenging, right? It's 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 he's showing the guys like Ricky Gervais, which is like it's so challenging to, in their mind, to pick upon the weakest parts of their society. Yeah, and his main point, like it's also like in so much as art is also criticism, like it is a piece that is criticizing so much about what comedy is and and should be. First, it's like he has such a problem with how comedy works and he ha- and and seemingly comedy in England is even is worse than it is even here. And yeah. these guys that are like, it's so challenging to do these jokes. And it's like, no, it's actually challenging to one. This is, I'm going to show you how much better I am at this than you are. Yeah. I'm going to do these into- incredible pieces and personal pieces and things that are hard to do to show you that I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is in terms of like, what you're doing actually is not challenging an issue, but also um, challenging the audience in a way of like the actual dynamic that is complicated and really understanding the fundamental nature of comedy, which is that the comedian has to please the audience, but the audience uh, wants to just have fun and the comedian wants to express themselves. And that is like the Bo Burnham thing, the sort of like fundamental, especially the make happy thing. And there's just that part where he's the, he puts it so succinctly, which is like every night I'm the person who knows the most about comedy, and I'm I have to please you people. Like yeah. I have, you, I need your approval, and it is um it, I mean it's just an incredibly contemporary thing, and I think to do that to be a conceptual thing while also just like be really good comedy is nice. Like you don't have to do that. Like I'm fine with deconstruction as deconstruction, but like. And there's elements of that, right? It's like you can see the staging equipment, like all these like, like conscious stuff that also like Bo Burnham does with inside, which is even more self-conscious. But there is that like, you can just see the lights and you see backstage. And for some reason, the set is built where it's just mid. There's like the structure where you you see the backstage. And it's yeah. And, and these all- big obvious moves where he like yeah. has huge sunglasses on yes. and then takes them off and then puts them back on at the end. Yeah. But he's not being like he doesn't underline it the way that Bo does. And that's because James yeah. is, is not like a theatrical person. He's not like and he and that's 
And that's part of what's charming about Bo. Like, Bo has a teenager's spirit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the one other thought that I really wanted to mention about James is something that I think about a lot when I am reviewing specials by, like, really, really, really famous people, which James Mm. is not here. In the UK, and he's not, you know, he's not Helen Mirren in the UK either. Like, he's not like a like an A-level movie, but he is way more famous my, there. My he's guess on, is he's like John Mulaney pre all the new John Mulaney stuff. Yeah, yeah, which is like still pretty famous, you yeah. know, to a level where at some point you have tipped over into your life not mm. being like a re- like you cannot get up on the stage and be like this is what regular people do and I am a regular person because your audience is not going to buy it and also you literally don't have those experiences anymore or at least a lot of your experiences are not that and it can be really fascinating but also frustrating watching comedians who are at that level where they are where they are you know superstars wildly wealthy superstars trying to figure out how to do like audience pleasing com relatable comedy and i think there was just something so i don't want to say endearing is the wrong word for this because it is not comfortable but the way that he uses both the bake-off story and the mr bean story to be like here is from the surface what this like famous person life looks like yeah like i was on bake-off my ex is dating mr bean like i am in a different echelon of experience than any of you sitting in this audience right now and instead of trying to make that relatable in a like it was awkward and now i feel weird kind of way he or or to ignore it he or translate it somehow into like you know a typical experience he just fully digs into Mm. how awful and uncomfortable it is for him and to take like a really viral familiar moment and then just totally unpack it as far as what was actually happening in his head at his time at this time you know i think I think there is this real sense for most very famous people that like you can't do that because nobody cares about mm. your famous person problems. And to an extent, that's true. Like that is the audience problem that he is deal- part of the audience problem that he is dealing with. But he is he works at such a level that it is incredibly funny and fascinating the way that he's able to tell it. And the refusal to be like this part of my life i can't talk about or like this part of my Mm. life doesn't matter it's off bounds because people aren't going to feel you know connected to me because this is the thing that i need to say i mean it is so it it just i i could not stop thinking about it and like watching those bits over and over again he's so good at it yeah you you get at something that i i i Thank you so much for saying that because it, it it unlocked a thing that I've been hard to I've had difficulty articulating for years now, which is the potential of when a comedian is famous, right? I think I think actually Bo Burnham said it. I think Jason Zinneman was telling that to us on the specials, which was like Bo Burnham's like, oh, being famous is the death of comedy, and I think you hear stuff like that. However, time and time again, it has been shown that when you are famous, there is a potential there, and like the most famous example is Richard Pryor big tabloid story that lit himself on fire. And then the result is like arguably the most famous 
bit of stand-up that's ever existed. And what happens when you're famous is two things. One, people have a notion about you already, so you can just dispel that and, and deeper. And then as a result, they're already invested in your story. So that's an advantage. But also it allows you to use yourself as a metaphor in a different way because you're yes. already an idea of a person where when <laughs> yeah. you when you are just a comedian going on there you are a regular person you are like a guy that you have to pretend you're a person that walked off the street and are having a conversation but the audience isn't talking and we're just all the same and if you're not that type of comedian you have to very quickly convey that you're this is going to be a completely different world you're creating yeah. and beautiful comedy comes out of it it's great there is a reason that so much of the best comedy comes from famous people. One, they are famous arguably for a reason they got there because they're so good at comedy. But the other is when they're really good at it and really willing to. Yeah, willingness is a yeah, huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it takes a lot of work. And it takes probably you don't like love being famous or you see for what it is i think some people are famous and are like this rules i feel <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable talking about how much it rules but james clearly does not love it and but he was able to see himself from the outside of himself right the meme of him on bake-off existed and he realized like oh like james acaster represents something to people so while i could talk about james acaster and partly it allows him to be like yes i'm doing personal material but i'm also doing not just universal material, but material that like says something about society. And that is very hard to do when you are just a regular person who is not lifted up. I mean, it's like essentially like you are um, in so much as we deify celebrities, it's like essentially like it becomes like a, like a, a philosophical, the philosophical yeah. idea of oneself. And that, there's probably some term for that type of thing, but like ultimately that is why this is so exciting and why he's able to do these things, right? He yeah. is a representation of British culture as a whole and why his experience on Bake Off is a representation of British culture as a whole is because he, we do that with our celebrities. We make them representations of our cultures as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is something you say constantly, but like part of what is exciting about a really great, set is that it creates this world that you are living in right mm -hmm. and when you are a famous the world building is half done for you so you you yeah. it's just a very efficient way to shortcut past having to you know like here's who i am and here's my sensibility and yeah. and if you then i mean it can go both ways you could then be super lazy and be like you know i don't have to do any of that stuff anymore and like i'll just do my thing again or you can say this all work was already done. Like now I have now I, I don't I can skip all of that part and go deeper and do other yeah. things. Yeah. Um I think that's a nice way to transition into the second special on our list. We already talked about it. Um and that's Bo Burnham's Inside, which yeah. is also doing the same version of the same thing. So we might as well just sort of keep it on a rolling. Shockingly, why did this make your list? Yeah, I don't know if anyone's seen or heard of Bo Burnham's Inside. Anyone listening to this comedy podcast? He's a he's a newcomer to the comedy scene. <laughs> um, yeah, I you couldn't not put this on this list. Yeah, like it is, it is the biggest gimme of all time. It is 
all of the things that I look for when I am trying to think about what would make a list like this. It is exquisitely made. Like every tiny last inch of it, somebody was worried about for like four hours, every tiny inch of it. Um, It is an incredible demonstration of one person's comedic sensibility and their uh, where their brain is and like what they want to say about the world and what they want people to feel about them and about comedy and about culture. Like it is this incredibly um, thoughtful and multifaceted presentation of all kinds of stuff happening in culture. It is, I mean, I think one of the big distinctions between what Bo is doing and what um, James Acaster is doing is that Bo is so much more obsessed with and focused on the internet, right? So like they're all all of these same kinds of ideas and themes, but they're played out in a very different space. So there's that. Um, And then there is just the, the... uncanny or i mean not uncanny it's very deliberate the sort of zeitgeistness of it the way that it captures not just one person's comedic sensibility not just sort of commentary about what the world is like not just this exquisite um production of those things but manages to hit some deep vein of what lots and lots and lots of people are feeling about Mm -hmm. where the world is. And it is this undeniable um, combination of those things that creates, I mean, it has just like taken over like most comedy conversations in the last month. And I I do not begrudge it that. I think it deserves all of those conversations. Um, Inevitably, there's then like backlashes and backlashes to the backlashes because that's how we have uh, reasonable conversations around here. That's how they all go now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's possible to watch this and then be like, eh, I don't, you know, it's <laughs> I don't not have worth a feeling about it. I don't, and I don't think it's really this much to say. No. Um, I've had internal versions of those backlashes to the backlashes. Every day I have a new version and a new opinion about it. Um, and, and where I've landed, I've been here for a couple of weeks and it, and it, it, it and it's come from, um, you know, when I first watched it, I, I was sort of watching it knowing I was being watched in a way because I knew I had to report back to you and Meg about what yeah. I thought about it. Yeah. And I and I knew I had sort of un unbelievable expectations because I I know what I thought Mick Happy said and did and what it and it what it articulated. I think eighth grade also did that and I spoke to him and I sort of know him as an artist. I also sort of like have thought about his work as it relates to the pandemic. So I sort of was like thinking about the themes and stuff that he could say in this opportunity. So my expectations were sort of both too high and both specific to what I would do if I was Bo Burnham. <laughs> um, and and I watched it. And so and I was like, it's pretty good. And it's because I wanted it to sort of like feel like a masterpiece like the, I wanted to feel like what it feels like, like ten years after it comes out, and we all agree, like, and that's impossible when you first watch a thing, especially by yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um. And the thing that I 
missed was what I hoped was that it was going to be somehow somehow do both the both things of Bo Burnham, which is he's like partly an extremely emo earnest person and also like a cartoonishly cynical person like he's like essentially like a teenager's version of cynicism and a teenager's version of earnestness and and that's kind of like and because he's doing music it works right it's like if he just was just talking like that it would be like the worst possible of both types of comedy Mm -hmm. but music allows a certain sort of like tonal variation like that and allows you to be more nuanced um and especially like musical comedy which um is more rooted in like musical writing, like music, like musicals, than it is like pop music, because of how literal the lyrics tend to be. Like well, you have to really enunciate. Yes, I mean so. the reality of human speech is that you can only say one thing at one time. <laughs> yeah, and when you set it to music, you get more than one thing. Like sure, you yeah. can have happy and sad literally at the exact yeah, yeah. same moment. It is just a more you can pack more stuff into the exact same second. That's yes. that's how it works. <laughs> so. So at first I um I wanted so and the thing that I always struck me and and it is partly from talking to him when I interviewed him for this podcast years ago and he talked about you know doing the thing giving you the experience of the thing while also like sending it up and commenting on it and I wanted that and I wanted him to sort of meditate on what it means to sort of have this you know, as I said, like I, I had an idea of what the themes of the special were going to be, which is be careful what you wish for. And there's some of that as well, which is like, he's like, I don't want to perform anymore. My relationship with the audience is toxic. Now look at me. I'm all by myself. And that's part of it. But so, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Some songs I like are funny. I thought some jokes were better than others. I thought some jokes would have been better if he was able to tour it more and like kind of really see. And, um, I won't say which, but there's one joke that still bothers me. I'll say what, which. The joke in um, 30 about mm-hmm. uh, when I turned 27, I painted a birdhouse with my mom. Or yeah. I built a, every time I think about I wake up in cold sweats in the freaking night being like, that lyric is wrong. It's not what he should have said. And it's my favorite song otherwise. And anyway, so the point is, I was sort of in this space where I like, I like part of it, but I thought it was pretty good. And then. I then sort of watched the internet watch it and rewatched it, but as and more so the experience of watching the, wa- the internet watch it, and specifically watching TikTok watch it, um, and seeing these these kids for a lack of a nicer word to, or a non condescending word feel it, and they had such an intense emotional experience, one that I did not have, one that I thought the special did not offer. I thought, well, the special is sort of like really succeeds at being this like send up of earnestness send up of autobiography send up of like what i think of as like the bony bear idea which is like a person who escapes to a cabin and comes out with this like masterpiece that god gave them yeah um because there's parts of it like the example that my two favorite examples of this is when he sings funny feeling and it's like his folk song he has like a background of the woods behind him so he's like and the other one is when he does these sort of like stand-up sections where he's like being a truth teller comedian. He's wearing all black, a la a George Carlin, a la a Louis C.K. So like clearly he's he's parroting these things as much as doing them. So I, I thought like at best it's a full cynical thing. And and then I saw these people have such intense emotional experiences to 
experiences that I thought were sort of unbelievable and wrong. Like I was like, that's not correct. That's a misreading of it. <laughs> this song is not the, I, it became a trend that I sort of was flabbergasted by, which is like, people kept on being like, um, all eyes on me is a song about a person at the end of the pandemic, talking to a person at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And that, and they kept on doing these things where they cut between themselves. And I was just like, Oh my Lord, what is this? And, but then I was like, who am I to say that the emotional stuff wasn't resonant? Like, that's his thing. And I realized it partly because I was watching TikTok over and over again. Everything I'm shown is Bo Burnham videos. And then one day I sign on and I see myself in my vo voice talking to Bo Burnham. <laughs> and I ask him a question I don't remember asking about, like, how true was this one song? And he's like, look, it's true and not true. And it's amplified. And look, I come from this musical theater. So when I'm dramatic, I'm dramatic. And and I'm like, oh, yeah, like this is his thing. He's speaking to a teenager's soul where when you have emotions, they feel like the biggest emotions anyone's ever felt. So like I now accept that if everyone thinks it's really emotional and everyone thinks it's so brilliant in terms of like it's what it's sending up. Then he did what he achieved to do. And I and it's made me accept things that I thought were problems and and we could talk about it for a million hours and that's a success. Like yeah. so much comedy. I can talk about it for like a hour. But like the fact that this has so many different ways you can look at it, different points. Do you talk about like what is staged and what's not staged? And why did he stage it that way? Like why was the equipment all over the place? Yeah is the second act a dream because he goes to sleep and wakes up what was the order he filmed it like it definitely seems like welcome to the internet might have been the first song because his hair is so short why is that like it's so rich it's there's so much uh paradox which is like hard for comedy to do and yes. he does it over and over and over again and it it makes it so like a song like white woman's instagram a First reaction, everyone had a strong, clear, I like the song, I don't like it for this reason. Everyone I talked to. And I, and the fact that even that song, You Waver, yeah. is a credit to yeah. his ability to sort of be, comedy benefits from being black and white because you'll laugh harder if it's a sort of clear thing. Your brain goes, got it, laugh. And he's able to get laughs like that while also making things that are unsettled. And that is like true artistic achievement i just want to provide you uh for all you literary theory heads out there the the work that might be a, a useful grounding for like how you think about this is umberto echoes the open work which while you were talking i have looked up a short description of how to describe um uh, for him, for for Echo, the idea of openness is an artist's decision to leave arrangements of some constituents of a work to the public mm. or to chance. And as a result, it is this exploration of artistic work that in has elements of multiplicity and plurality and the insistence on a response as interactive between reader and text. And I think that is really the best way, you know, where somebody like Acaster is frustrated with the audience is annoyed by them is attempting to control what the tone is is literally saying i don't want other people interacting with this because i do not actually 
think the interaction benefits the thing that I am trying to say. Yeah. Bo has put this thing out there, not said anything about it, and the production of meaning has been through this way that people are interacting with it, which is this incredible and also really fascinating and unusual way for a comedy special that is made this way to exist because most comedy that we talk about and something that you know is so important i know you care about a great deal but like a comedian gets in front of an audience and it is produced through that interaction Mm -hmm. before right that is the draft process of it and as a result, you you refine it, you hone it, and then the finished thing is the special that is filmed, and once that happens, there is no longer an, any interaction, right? It is put in a box, yeah. and we watch it, and, like, now it's gone. And this is, like, a really – I think I, – I can't – I can't think of any other examples in comedy. I'm sure you you know better than I do, but, like, of the way that this – does it, which is a total reversal of that, right? You have it completely in a box to yourself, totally exists and only you know about it and only you think about it and only, I mean, it does have collaborators, which is important to note. um, So that's not totally true, but far more than any other comedic work, it is just you. And then all of the production of meaning, all of the way that it lives in the world is through the way you don't say anything else about it. It's through the way that these crazy TikToks that you're watching and, you know, people are pouring themselves into some of these songs and or, you know, their lives, they say, are changed by like watching some parts of it and they just select part of it, right? You don't need to take it as a whole if you don't want or you do think about it as a whole. You create these like almost fanfic level readings yeah. of it. You, you know, point out the way it relates to your own life you point out the way it's false and that way it doesn't work for i mean just it is an absolutely singular comedic thing in that respect um yeah just just a remarkable pandemic thing but what's interesting for how much he decries or if that's the right word the internet is like he's turns 30 james a caster is 6 years older than him that is a different relationship to the internet he is a He's literally exactly our, James is exactly our age. So we grew up and then the internet became part of my, our lives. Where Bo, once he sort of had consciousness, the internet sort of was there. He was nine in 1999, this glorious period. <laughs> and and it's in, and that's what's interesting, which is like, he understands the internet in certain ways of like, we're going to put it out there and the internet's going to create what this thing is. And, and... I, it's a rare time where, like, I really hope he can figure out a way of not talking about this. And people yeah. ask me to have him on. And if he wants to come on, Bo, if you're listening, I'm happy to talk to you about it. We can go through every second of it. Um, it will but be 12 hours long. It's just sort of like, it's such a rare thing where people have their own meaning of it. And, yeah, like, there's probably fights about, like, what is correct. And that's silly. Like, there's it's like there's no right answer. And even if Bo says the, a thing at this point, it's not the right answer, as, as I'm saying. The audience yeah. gets to decide. Comedy is an audience-driven art form. And we've now talked about these two guys for a so million long. years. And it's partly because they're next to each other and they're so thematically related. But there are other specials that have come out this year. So we're going to stop talking stop about it. If you want to hear us talk more about Burdum, we have another two hours of it. 
uh, on the specials. We could probably find another two hours to talk about it later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And we'll be right back with more Catherine Van Arendong. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Zell. The recruiter said all I needed to do was send $500 to cover mandatory safety training, and the job was mine. In a world where financial crimes are more and more sophisticated, there's a team that's got your back. Yee-haw! Come in, safe squad. We got a 10-3. Copy that, dispatch. We're on it. Hop in, Skip. We got a phony recruiter. Safe Squad. The crime drama everyone is talking about. I know it's only my first day, but that sounds like a pretty cut-and-dry job scam. Strap in, rookie. These days, criminals can even make it look like it's your bank calling. But that's where we come in. My what? It's my savings account. Compromised? No, I won't hold. No, I didn't authorize a $12,000 withdrawal. That's my life savings. Why don't you come with me? I'll show you how to report to the FTC. What payment platform did you use? Let's contact them, too. Don't miss the TV event of the season, Safe Squad. Hey, Ace. Yeah, kid. You're right. That was one hell of a first day. Learn how you can spot the signs of a scam so you don't have to call the Safe Squad by visiting www.vox.com slash HQ. Remember, never send money online to people you don't already know and trust. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. We're back with Catherine Van Arendong. So we're now going to go to something again, so different um, in terms of like w- how it relates to being a special. Um, and that's Virdaz is 10 on 10, I guess is what you would call it. Yeah, I think um, so. And he was on this podcast, so some of you might know. But the basic idea is um, on the 10th of every month, though that's not exactly what has happened, he's going to release a 10-minute special, though most of them have been over 10 minutes. One was 20 minutes long. And that is what he's calling his special. Like, that, instead of doing a special, he feels like, I'm going to do these things in segments so it's more immediate, so there's more allowance for the audience to tell me what he wants me to talk what they want me to talk about. But it is a deliberately connected process. However... Maybe they're a person listening. I'm, I have a person in my head who's like a true stand-up head. He was like, fine, we'll count Bo Burnham, even though like some of those things he wasn't singing lined, I guess. <laughs> At least it was an hour and a half. At least it was released on Netflix. It's a thing. He calls it a special. Yeah. Fine. Okay, we'll include James A. Caster, even though it's two hours long and there's an intermission, blah, blah, blah. But now, <laughs> this is not even one thing. <laughs> so answer yeah. this made-up critic okay. that we, we have uh, recreated. Okay, well, first of all, fooey to you. Why don't you like fun things? Um, second of all, uh, 
it's 2021. I don't know if you've noticed, there's not a lot out there. And I had to make a list. And three things on a list is barely a list, but yeah, four yeah. things. Definitely. Next. It seems like a like a mistake to me to overlook the way that these are being built and not to think about them as being produced in a way that is really, even if it is not exactly the same way that many specials are produced, in the, it is a mistake to me to say that they, you know, should not get considered in the same territory because um, I, first of all, from a production standpoint, the first three of them are um, from sets that he does outside and I went into it being like, are these just like films? Like how how am I – is this going to feel like a special in the way that it is like really carefully crafted from a production standpoint? And it absolutely does. It is not just like his friend with an iPhone standing <laughs> there like, you know, filming him for this thing. Yeah. There's but a great deal of thought that goes into the um, – he does like split screen audience reactions, which I think is an interesting – a really interesting choice. It's not one that I have seen in yeah. other – things um the the space of it is this uh outdoor you know totally like i don't know how they set it up but it clearly it's not usually like a little amphitheater but they somebody pulled out some benches you know yeah so it's a i don't know what you'd call it it's a secret space in the jungles of goa uh and we can talk about why it's a secret space but it's yeah. like, like a hidden and you have to like climb up a mountain to get there yes um for the and so that's where it is um continue and i'll yes. we'll talk about why it's a <laughs> yes space. absolutely um and this is not material this is not somebody who's just getting up there and like working out yeah you know jokes for the like i've done them a couple times which i was seeing like it is very incredible like he's been working on this material he it is thought about he is considered in the the choices that he's making he has them um on roughly on themes so the first one is on religion the second one is on freedom of speech the third one is on um like western privilege and then the last ones to date so far is uh he had to do virtually because of the covid surge in india in spring and uh, that one is about is called uh, jokes for the dead um and you know i had was not familiar with his stuff before watching this and i was so taken with the clarity of his ideas about these big, messy, horrible mm. things. I mean, I'm horrible and like fascinating and and disastrous things. I he has this joke about freedom of speech that I don't even know if I agree with as like really what freedom of speech is about. But as soon as he said it, you just get this click of like what exactly it is that he means and he cares about. He's talking about how for him, freedom of speech is, you know, it's not the ability to like look at the government and like, you know, say whatever you want to them or, you know, it's like he is on a train with you and some guy is standing there with his dick hanging out and he want freedom of speech for him is he needs to be able to say, hey, that guy's dick is out and have, see, see whether you also see mm. the guy whose dick is out. Like, you have to be able to talk about the thing that is happening in front of you. And he has, I mean, he has all kinds of tech. I mean, he has a lot of techniques that I think are really successful for him. He does a great 
accent. He is great at creating these characters and then undermining them. He has a, a really effective rhythm for these spaces. You know, he doesn't do these big, long anecdotal stories, but you get jokes that have just enough kind of meat on them so that they don't feel too glib or or silly for this kind of material that he's working on. Um, and he has a just an absolute um, de- like a dowsing rod sense for what the actual uh, like pain point is mm. for the audience in front of him and for the thing that he wants to say, which is not to say he doesn't sometimes go over it. I mean, sometimes the jokes that he does, he you can see him go like, oh, it's too far. Like, and but he's still, but he's going to say them because he, it is important to him to say. Yeah. I mean, it just it is almost hard. It is almost hard to compare this to the other specials on this list, not because of the way it is produced, not because of the sort of, you know, it's it's in bits and pieces over the course of the year, but because it is just in such a wildly different context yeah. than the other things happening on here that it almost doesn't feel fair to the other things to be like, and also this guy is standing there in a jungle, you know, yeah. and being this good at the thing that he is doing. I'm Yeah, I mean, there's a... You know, we are inundated by political comedy now, partly because we're inundated by everything now. And political comedy is a thing, especially during Trump. There was just so much of it. And there was an incredible demand for it because, like, when there's a thing that is causing stress, there's a hope that people could uh, offer some catharsis. And because it was Trump, everyone needed very specific different versions of it. So everyone was through. So political comedy was really narrow, especially here, but also felt really ineffective and really purposeless. And the comedians, you felt like, also didn't feel like they had a sense of purpose and a clarity yeah. of purpose. They're like, this is either pointless or I'm just preaching to the converted. Like, I think there's and, so or much- Or like milk toast, you yeah. know? Like, you're doing these, like, Trump is orange jokes. Yeah. Yeah, and and he truly has a sense of purpose and yes. passion and, and, like- one, it's good for people with a sense of purpose. Two, it is captivating to hear a person have a sense of purpose. It allows them to speak slowly and deliberately because you're like, you feel it and you know it. And it's because the, the thing about the freedom of speech thing and, 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 and all of this, which is in, in this country and in England, to, to include James Caster, the idea of freedom of speech is just, can a comedian say mean things about people who um, don't deserve it? yeah right it's just like can they do it no yes that's what freedom of speech is freedom of speech what's the difference between freedom of speech and fair speech whatever like that's it it just goes in circles but ultimately the penalty is different versions of slaps on the wrist and some rich people don't like being slapped on the wrist how dare you comedies no one gets slapped on the wrist Virdas is in a jungle in goa because he was he can be arrested for this material yeah. He can be hurt from this material. Other comedians in India are getting arrested, are getting jailed for talking about this. When I spoke to him, he's like, I will be like, I don't think maybe I will. I at some point I will get the wrong judge. I will get the wrong whatever. And I it just will happen that, you know. And he still does it because if he can't do it as the as the most prominent English speaking comedian in India then how's anyone going to do it? And yeah. and and it's not just because he thinks comedy is important, though, like, obviously, he thinks it is, and though he doesn't take credit for it, 
other comedians give him so much credit for essentially like bringing English speaking comedy to the country. It's that like, as he says, like it is, he believes like existentially important for even if you don't have the power to push back on a government like this, you know, to be to least be able to say this is weird. This something is off because not being able to do that and being isolated from other people who agree with you in this way, like is maddening. So like you already have the fact that you are under a fascistic regime. Yeah. And minimum you can have people like this is this is not normal. This idea of the cliche during the Trump administration. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like. And it's really important to him and he and he's able to do it and he's able to push it and he's able to um, talk seriously about it, but have enough levity that you're paying attention and that he does he does relieve things. I mean, like, as you said, the fourth one is about jokes for the dead and it's just about grief, which is not a topic that most comedians talk about. I mean, and if they do, it's like. You know, like they had a parent die, and then like two years later, they have a special where they talk about that, and yeah, and it's good. That's great. I love art that is like that. Um, it is very different than in the middle of this yeah. surge to ha- just talk to people about it. Like that is a societal good. Like that relief valve. Like it's like you know, as a, we talk about the role of comedy in society, it is a it is like the liver or whatever. It is a engine of processing things that are happening and you feel him do that and he's so good at doing that you feel it's like you know it's like truly like i mean like though catharsis is temporary it is at least something it's relief you're not going to crumble under the tension of it because he is there is a feeling of like, I feel safe with this person. And also like, he's making me feel better. And that's nice. And there's just a vitality to it where you're just like, yeah. this is, this is, I mean, not to say important, but this is like, um, not going through the motions and, and you really feel that. And I think that that is the thing that is extraordinary. I mean, like it, it you feel it and you can tell. Yeah. I mean, it is also so fascinating to think about his, he clearly has this sense of comedy as like service, right? Yeah. And the relationship to the audience is so different. It is maybe polar opposite to somebody like James Acaster. He more than once um, in these um, segments is talking about the how the most important person in the room is not him. It is mm. the audience. Um, the people that the government the government is not going to arrest him because they're afraid of him it is because they are afraid of the audience laughing um they you know the the idea of the whole jokes for the dead segment is not for him to process the grief although clearly that is also happening Mm -hmm. and he talks about how he has also lost people it is served like he is there to help the everyone watching and it, it creates such a different um underlying understanding of like what comedy is supposed to be doing in that moment and i which is not to say you know that either one is better or wrong or like less important or more important or whatever they are just such different expressions of what what is happening when somebody is standing in front of people telling jokes and you know from a, a like 
incredibly privileged American perspective. I think it is also so bracing and fun and weird and unusual to have somebody be so good at like poking at Americanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not a perspective that we see very often. He is clearly performing for a little, at least a tiny bit for an American audience as well. And it is really interesting watching him negotiate. Like it is primarily for the Indian audience. Yeah. And it is really interesting watching him negotiate the generosity toward the Indian audience and the like, I do not care about you at all, Americans who I think might be watching this kind of, I mean, not to say that he cares about them zero, but like the 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 specificity of like what he is trying to do and who it is for and the yeah. fact that it is not for him, just, just so magnetic to watch. And he's, yeah. you know, a, a magnetic, charismatic person to be spending any time with. Yeah. In the first place, um, y- yeah, the, it is. I don't know how you can watch these and and think, well, that doesn't count as a special. <laughs> it is funny. It, it's um, he's. It's like he he's aware of the West from the perspective of I don't care about it. Like he cares about yeah. it to communicate that you don't care about it. And like yeah. even the idea of like he's pushing back on even the thing that you said is like from the perspective of like a privileged person in the West. And there's a thing where it's like, I don't think people in the West are more privileged. Yeah, yeah. Like the word special is such a weird word. It's weird that special has become the word that got used. It is a relic of like 1970s television and how the world special was. Like it was even, just- like, Even earlier, right? It's like a special variety show yeah. kind of a, yeah. But like the, yeah, because the, the comedy special, the stand-up special- came after years of variety specials. Yeah. So there's like, oh, this is a stand-up special. This is a, a special, which is like a one-off little thing that's usually like a tribute to fireworks or whatever. Yeah. But today it's going to be Rob Robert Klein doing stand-up. But ultimately, stand-up, fireworks, specials, one-off little things. But then it just kept on being called specials and now that's what we call them. And it's like a weird word and it, it results in people saying the same joke over again, which is like specials aren't special anymore. Uh, that said, this is, this feels special. It feels like a special thing that's happening. It feels like of a moment. This feels right yeah. now, this exists. And it's especially so because he releases it month to month. Because he asks his fan base, which is tremendous. He's, he's a huge comedian. Um, what should I talk about? What are the things that are, people aren't talking about that it'd be nice to have someone with enough power that they could deal with the blows of talking about it. And they say this, and he goes, that's what I'll talk about. And not in a, it's the exact opposite of the, what happens here, which is like, what is, what do people not talk about it? I'm going to talk about just to push buttons. It's truly like, and then it's always trans jokes. (laughs) Yeah. It's the exact opposite, which is like, what would be helpful for me to talk about? Like, not let me, process my own inability to understand a thing I don't understand. What will be helpful? And that is a very different thing and a very clear perspective. And that is, again, it's like, there's many things of what can make it on a list. And as stand-up becomes increasingly diversified of what we defined it as, or what a comedy special becomes increasingly diversified as, it becomes harder and harder to have a clear value system of like, oh, stand-up is only when a person stands for an hour and does one-liners over and over again whatever yeah, yeah because you're like there's so many other people doing these things you have to be like 
you know, what is a person with vision? How are they able to articulate it? And then how does it respond to the moment? And like, th- there's not a clear example of that than this. Yeah, 100%. Okay. We talk about all these sort of genre breaking things. Mm-hmm. And then now we're going to talk about a regular stand up special. Regular ass stand up. And not special. regular is bad, just regular as like when we think of a stand up special, we think of this, which is um, Josh Johnson's. I don't know how you'd pronounce it. I was similarly curious. It's a hashtag, like yeah. the symbol, and yes. then open parentheses, and then the word hashtag, and then close parentheses. Yes. I've not heard him say what he calls it. So it's either called hashtag, hashtag, or it's just called hashtag. Either yeah. way, Josh Johnson's hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Uh, which which came out on Comedy Central. Um this year, obviously. Uh, yes. Why did it? Why is it here? So, you know, I I don't know what the process of d- writing this was like. I yeah. watching it, I am guessing that some of this is material that he has been working on for a while, and I don't mean that like eight like lived in and like he has been sort of building them, and then other parts of it are very fresh like we were all in a pandemic now mm. things and i think you know this is a moment where there's going to be a lot of this kind of stuff where people are trying to figure out what the bridge is how much of both sides you want how much of both sides audiences are looking for how much you as a comedian feel like you need to sort of process what was happening in the last you know in in 2020 and and 2021 or like do you just like jettison that all and like move on to other things and for me this is a really successful bridge Mm -hmm. of I'm going to acknowledge what we've all been doing. I'm going to process it. It does feel processed in a way that a lot of the like early pandemic stuff was like, has anyone heard of Zoom? Oh, my God. Um, This is, you know, he has lived with uh, some of that, particularly the earlier. He has a a section where he's talking, you know, like the strangeness of trying to disconnect from screens and like being alone with his thoughts that is both fresh and he's had just enough distance from it to like have built it into a thing rather than just you know this sort of panicked oh my god what is happening um and there is a fair amount of material in here that is about you know he has like a really like almost hacky but it's not because it's so good like like women like their men like this kind of a joke you know Mm. and it's just it's a really well built like here's why ladies want things they can't have but he delivers it sitting down like he has sat down on the set at some point before there's a cut so i don't think i caught the moment where he actually sits down um or i watched it with commercials which was stupid so it's possibly my my brain um didn't catch that part but he is relaxing as he is delivering this like women want three things and they can only have two joke the maybe the oldest (laughs) setup that there is and it just feels I have seen a fair amount of comedy that's like, let's just be silly and talk about not pandemic stuff. And yeah. and I needed I, I needed the bridge to be able to get back to this place where I can be like, women do want three things and they only can have two. You know, like I and he 
is so relaxed and comfortable as he is doing that part of it. And it feels like I, I immediately know from this special who he is, what his interests mm. are, what his voice is. He has a lot of, it's like a very cool, controlled persona that he has. It works really well when he is able to sort of balance it between that and then he has this joke about getting a bee stuck in his hair and so you're sort of the image of the 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 difference between how he controlled he is on stage and like picturing him in this frenzied moment because he has yeah. this in, you know large afro that looks fantastic um and it it just is the only thing that i have watched recently that has happened that like wasn't filmed before that pretended to be that is a normal special and i was like okay we can still do normal specials you know i don't have to like this is not half an hour about how masks don't work is a subtweet of another special Mm -hmm. this is not um you know it's not bo burnham's inside where i'm like deeply stuck in this terrible thing it is it is this road out a little bit and it just it was so nice to just spend spend time there for an hour yeah it also helps to be first right it's like yeah well oh, absolutely other, you know like there's probably two specials worth of my interest in a joke about the toilet paper right and yeah it's like it, it, maybe this might be the only one but when you're first you get to be like the you guy get to be the just, person yeah it's like some observations it's amazing. Like when you do observational comedy at all of any type, it's amazing when you can find a thing that has been in plain sight the whole time and no one notices. That's like sort of the superpower of a Jerry Seinfeld, right? But the other thing is when something's so obvious, but ultimately no one else is a stand-up comedian, <laughs> you get to go first and just be like, "Isn't it weird that we all bought that toilet paper?" Like, yeah. And it was weird, and you sort of, and then you have to say some joke, but it was in the past, and it's just like a classic thing of. That's what it that's what it does. And if he didn't do it, like his special needed to do this, which was like and special because the audience was wearing masks and this was filmed, I imagine, I don't know, like a couple months ago. If that like this was a quick turnaround as specials go. Usually specials people sit on them, especially Comedy Central loves sitting on something. But I think it was clear that they're like gotta do it. We gotta do it because we're gonna film more and we this is like the early, you know. Also, we need this content up. I don't know uh, when they shot it also, but like he has this incredibly, as I said, like controlled persona for the whole thing. And then like right at the end, he gets to the end and people start clapping and he's like, we did it. And you have this sense of like, ah, ha, 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 we made it. Like we, we got, you know, yeah. It, it, Yeah. I mean, he has the benefit of just like, oh, there's people inside and they're wearing masks and they're, it's not a big theater, but they're doing it. And you're like. I mean, it's just, and he's good. So thank God. Like, I think no matter yeah. what, it was going to be president. But like, he's he's always been very good at writing jokes. That's the thing about Josh. He was known for a guy that was really good at writing jokes. I heard legends about how good he was at writing jokes before he like filmed anything or I saw him. And he was like a, a, a late night writer. And mm-hmm. like that's, and, um, and that sometimes happens to people who are good at writing jokes, which is like, they're so good at it. That someone's like, we'll just pay you to do it. We, you don't even have to write your own jokes. And then sometimes they're like, well, that's all I kind of need to do. Um, but what is nice is when 
they have a reason to be a comedian beyond their their jokes and they have a point of view that's interesting and yeah and their persona is fun to watch and has their own version of being controlled without the sort of like Gerard Carmichael, Dave Chappelle, dramatic pauses, big long pauses. He's not using pauses that way, and maybe one day he will, which is great. And if you can do it, but it's like it's not cheap. It's just sort of when you're a generationally charismatic person, it it's kind of easy for you to do. He instead like is really slow about setting up yes. the thing he's going to be talking about, and it's just a style thing to do. It is just a you know, none of his premises are super, super complicated, but he's just sort of like, it's it's his version of doing the Chris Rock thing, which is like, I'm going to repeat the premise four times so then we all know what it is and you know how we're getting it. He's doing the opposite, which is like, you know, like, the the part that I think is sort of masterful, which is like, I, you know, people, it's not that people are racist or like kind of people are racist. It's partly just like people are living longer than they should have. Yes. And time, they just can't adjust. And I fear about what it's going to be like for me. And I don't think I'm going to get different. It's just things will change. But he's, none of this is really jokes. He's just sort of saying it. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting idea. And he goes, and for me, I'm sure it's going to be robots, right? Yeah. And. And then what is results is sort of this extended bit that is a much more complicated understanding of not just like people are racist, but how prejudices are formed by people who are just too old to decide to form new understanding. Yeah. And it's, I don't say it's sympathetic to racist, but it's just a different angle on it. And it's, and it's easy enough to have that different angle, right? I have not seen a comedian really take that angle. But to have an example like Robots, which, you know, Robots is a fun laugh. It's a fun premise. It allows you to do sort of interesting, fun jokes because, like, robots are such a silly thing. Um, But it just he perfectly executes it, all of it. And he has that moment where the audience is sympathetic to the robot. It's so great. Yeah. It's so great. And it's just really good at it. It's just really good at being a stand-up comedian. And it's so nice. It's just like... Yes. <laughs> it's like, and that's the thing. It's like, okay, some of this was old. Some of this was new. Yeah. The new stuff didn't feel so new that it felt like throat clearing, which, you know, it was a little bit because because Definitely. the nature of it. But like, he obviously worked on it over Zoom shows and stuff. Um, his presence was comfortable, which I think is remarkable. I don't know how he pulled it off. Like, he must have had not that much time to be in front of an audience again. Yeah. And that it's easy when your persona is like wild and all over the place. Yeah, it's another one. On it's the thing when it's just being relaxed and comfortable. It's really hard to feel that way when it's your 10th show back. Yeah. Um, but all of it is just sort of impeccably done. And his specifics are exactly it and fresh and different. And um, they're just like his. I just like the way. He has that thing about his like friend's grandma who like yeah. has a crush on him, and it's just sort of a different angle on like <laughs> on like sexual harassment, and um, it's just really just like all of these specials have different versions of like what 
thoughtfulness and deliberateness look like. Now, I think we both agree that that is not essential for a great special. No. It's not like only comedians have to be deliberate um, for them to be good. The thing is, actually, if a comedian is deliberate and then it's not interesting, like you just see them be deliberate, but like ultimately their their perspective is not... Just write an essay, man. Just write a... (laughs) What is exciting, it's like, oh, we have vision, and yeah. we are, can be delivered to executing it, and ultimately, they are a naturally funny person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I was worried about this one because I, I had seen so many, like, underwhelming, like, like fine pandemic. Yeah. Not so many, but of the pandemic, post, like, mid-pandemic specials that have come out. Most of them have been fine. And to just get to a place, like, yes, the how remarkable it is that he seems as relaxed as he does in this on the stage, that he is able to hit exactly the right balance between, you know, the kinds of topical throat clearing stuff that he needs to do and then move on to other material um you know i was thinking about it in terms of like shared reality sadly Mm -hmm. we are in a place where you do need to like define what everyone's shared reality is going to be before when you're going to do any kind of like pandemic stuff and he manages to hit it and you get his vision so quickly so that he can then do all of this like the, the goofy robots thing um the robots also, like, part of the reason that joke works is because in the back of your mind, you're like, it could be robots, though, yeah, like, someday. Yeah. Like, that. <laughs> the only reason it works is because, and mo- the reason the audience then suddenly has the sympathy is because you you know it could also be robots. It, it reminded me, uh, you know, the joys of a first special. So usually when a comedian does their first special, they are not famous yet. So as a result... The show was worked on in 10-minute increments or 5-minute increments or 50-minute increments. So, And you're not famous, so the audience is not going to let you really relax into it. You can't sit into it. You can't... If he goes like, I'm going to James A. Caster it, I'm going to tell you two stories. I'm going to tell you that last entire time. People just wouldn't indulge it. Yeah. So instead, you get a guy who's like, all right, everything's going to be a couple minutes long. And every part of it's going to work. Yeah. And I don't have the luxury of, well, you'll give me a credit on this one. And right. it's just like, you love a guy who's like, I'm going to make all parts of this as funny as I can. It never gets better than this. Like, for the most part, comedians evolve out of it for a variety of reasons. Partly, like, once you start really touring and doing hours, you have to fill so much more time that you yeah. want to, like, pick everything off the bone. But it's just like, that energy of like great joke writer being like, this is my time. I'm just going to freaking set it up and knock it down. It, it's, I mean, I miss it so much. It's just like few things better than it. Like, I don't think all comedy needs to be like joke, 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 joke. But if there's a person who can do it, like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's like, you know, it's not, I don't think it's per- a perfect special. Like part of the, 
part of the downside of joke, 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 joke is like you can see the seams between yeah. each like two or three minute thing. You know, you can see like not all the transitions are are beautiful. Like there are moments, some of inevitably some of them feel a little out of place because like they're not, they don't have this big like I'm going to do a special about performance. And so they don't <laughs> have that same like thematic, you know. Um, tie through, it, you know, it, I think the title, I hate to put too much pressure on titles, but the title is suggestive of like, oh, I don't know, I mean, it's, look, this is what I have. Um, yeah. and, and it doesn't matter. It's just, yeah. it's, you, you're, you're so happy to be there. You're just, he's happy to be there. You're happy to be there. It, it feels like a relief in a different, yeah. in a very different way than something like Virdas is doing, but it it is still its own really effective form of relief. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's so many, it's, it's hard to talk about because there's so many jokes that it's like, where James A. Caster special has four jokes, right? Yeah. So it's like easy to be like, these are the four, I remember each one. And it's just like, there's so many little things and so many that are so good. And again, it's like, it's partly, as you said, like, when you watch these Comedy Central specials, they're, they're sort of built to have commercial breaks. Yeah. So it's almost like, it, even if there were transitions live, like I, I, I didn't watch the commercial version, but like, there are hard cuts. Right. Yeah. So it's like even if there were transitions live, they were edited out or they're like, don't do it. Like, try to really pace it. And and Josh is such a good writer that I'm sure he's like, all right, well, I know what the segments are. I'm going to knock out these yeah. segments because you see it happens. So I hate when it happens. Like you watch a guy like Kyle Canadian, a bunch of Comedy Central specials, and they would just have to cut stories in the middle and then come back for the last two minutes. And you're like, this stinks. It's why he's much better. Like, you listen to albums and you can really have them flow it between things. But again, it, it speaks to, like, he 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 knew the assignment and he he got an A+, plus, right? Or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Basically. It's hard to describe this. Like, he is one of the great young joke writers and that is clear. Yeah, and, 100%. Um, and I'm happy to see every step of whatever the next steps are. And that's like what you want from a first special, which is like, oh man, I can't wait for his second special. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for when the audience lets him really yeah. indulge, where he doesn't have to prove himself. So now he can really be himself. Like, it rules. It does. Um, as we wrap up, I want to wrap up question, which is, what do you hope to see? Like, this is four Hypothetically, yeah. the list is going to have to have six more. Um, what do you hope? Don't say who they are, because who knows who's going to put out stuff. But what do, you, what do you hope to see if any comedians who are releasing a special in the next few months want a tip? What do you? What do you? What do you hope to see more of? Well, uh, I would hope to see an entirely female slate of mm. uh, specials, just all ladies for the second mm -hmm. half of the year. I assume that's totally possible given the pipeline, mm -hmm. and I look forward to what comes out. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's... I think the last time you asked me this, I was sort of hoping for more formal experimentation. And like, clearly I have gotten it, although not for the reasons I would have wanted. Yeah. And, I, you know, as I said earlier, like, it's, I'm so excited by it. It's so, it's so rich to be yeah. able to have this, this more um, diverse, playful sort of 
you know, forced to be innovative response to like what this form should be. Uh, you know, I'm fine if the pendulum swings back a little bit and we like have a couple more just like regular specials yeah. because the form is so great when it when it is really, you know, just this this beautiful hour of a person on a stage. Um, I don't know. I think I am really curious what is going to happen with political humor mm. because it feels like something people are exhausted by and it also feels like a thing people have felt like they had to do and maybe don't in the same way except that of course there are still you know extreme like sure. I, it's not like i'm saying there is nothing political to joke about right now um but i do think post-Trump, which we really have only recently, like, we're not really seeing what post-Trump comedy yeah. is yet. And I think we're going to start to see more of that, you know, with the stuff that's being produced now. Um, very excited about no more, like, Cheeto Man jokes. And, uh, yeah, I, I am excited to see just comedians and audiences in the same room again, mm -hmm. I think. That's that's my that's my wish. As long as they're women, yeah, everyone and the audience, all and the women audience. audience, all all women comedians. Yeah, um, yeah. When you say it like that, I'm like, yeah. The thing I would like most is to be in an audience of, in a comedy show, and there's a comedian on stage. The everything else is like nice, and it's like great for the <laughs> art firm to be ambitious. But like, honestly, I would like to see to go to a showcase show that has six comedians and they're all working on stuff and it's pretty good. And I'm laughing with strangers. That seems like enough. Um, and, and I, and I look forward to it because it, it is happening. I've went to one of those things and it was nice. Um, I guess we saw John Mulaney together. That's another time we saw it. Yep. I was very critical of how the audience was laughing, but I think I'll slowly remember to accept my fellow audience member. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I look forward to getting to talk to you again about the rest of the year specials. Absolutely. It's, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, great, great, great stuff. Thanks. Thank you for having me. And, uh, and once again, if it's not all women in the rest of the list, then I reserve the right to complain about it again uh, in six months. Uh, I accept those terms. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can read Catherine's list on Vulture.com. Subscribe to the specials at Patreon.com slash the specials. Follow Catherine on Twitter at KVanAaron. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gautam Shikushin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to GoodOnePodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at GoodOnePodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.